0: Today's reading is a selection of passages from the book of Proverbs. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I'm going to utter a phrase that maybe you've heard before. That's not fair. So uh, if you have kids, you've definitely heard that's not fair before, but let's just be honest. Let's keep it a buck. As they say these days, let's keep it 100. Uh, If you're an adult, even if you haven't said that's not fair, there's a lot of things that happen all of the time that cause us to say that in our hearts. That's just not fair. And this raises all sorts of interesting questions about what is it that, that there is this deeply embedded sense in us of, of fairness and unfairness, of, of right and wrong, um, about what is supposed to happen and what's not supposed to happen. And so it raises that question, where does this come from, this, this deeply embedded sense of justice, uh, this sense about what, what the rules are supposed to be and, and who is supposed to make them? And I actually think that, you know, we, it's, it's cliche to point out at this point that, you know, we, uh, we have all of these kind of cultural wars or, or cultural disputes or cultural divides. And I think so often people are just talking past each other because we're operating from different, from different senses of what is fair and what is, is not fair. And so just some easy examples, some scenarios where we ask, you know, is this fair, is this not fair? So uh, is it fair? That, that some people are wealthy and other people are not? Is it fair to tax those who have much in order to redistribute to those who have little? And if it is fair, then to what degree should that happen? How, how far should the government go to ensure a completely equitable, equitable distribution of material resources? Is it fair that a doctor makes more money than a cashier? Is it fair that some neighborhoods are safer than others? Is it fair that some people are stronger than others? That some people are smarter than others? Is it fair to give preference on an application to a school or a job on the basis of someone's race or ethnicity, their sex, their religion, their political affiliation? And I know I'm throwing out a lot of questions right now, but I think the answer to almost all of them is, well, it depends. And so given right the unequal distribution of capabilities, the unequal distribution of resources, the unequal distribution of opportunities for a whole host of reasons having to do with history and genetics and culture and nurture and luck, justice, I believe, a, a, a large part of it is our attempt to manage those inequities in such a way that seems fair, that balances doing right by the individual and maintaining some form of social cohesion. This is no easy task with all of these competing claims for justice and for fairness. And so it requires something. It requires, I want you to wait for it, wisdom. It requires wisdom. And so before looking at what Proverbs has to say, though, about justice, about fairness, I want to take a second, though, and just when I said there's all of these competing ideas, these competing philosophies about what constitutes fairness and justice in our society, it's actually helpful to do a, a brief taxonomy of what some of those are about, what the most popular conceptions of those that are on offer in our society. And, and so actually, besides providing uh, the inspiration... Um, for this sermon series. Uh, it, last year, Timothy Keller wrote a, a really helpful article called A Biblical Critique of Secular Justice and Critical Theory, where he helpfully summarizes kind of what he sees as, as, as the five um, major kind of most important streams of our modern conceptions of justice. And so uh, I'm kind of reflecting on what he says here. I've, I've added my own category that I think he had missing. But these are really just different traditions of thinking about justice, Um, and they're operative in the world today, and and they operate on this continuum. And on one end of the continuum, you have a concern with the individual, and on the other end of the continuum, you have a concern with the the collective or the community. And and so these varying theories, these, these varying traditions of justice kind of run that spectrum from focusing on one end or the other. And so all the way on the individualistic side, you have the libertarian understanding of justice that's all about maximizing individual freedom. The, the motto is, don't tread on me. And, and the most just thing in this scenario is, is to be left alone. Don't bother me. And, and next to that, and I think probably the most, one of the most popular within our culture, is, is the liberal concept of justice, which is about fairness. And the job of the government is to ensure that we're all playing the game by the same rules. And those rules are enforced equit- equitably. Probably the most famous contemporary proponent or or modern component of of this theory of justice is John Rawls, who, who, uh, when he was talking about um, how, you know, what it means to be just, he's saying, well, if you're designing a society, you would want to do it behind what he called a veil of ignorance, meaning you wouldn't know into what sort of situation or station you would be born. So how would you set up a society to have it be the most fair, the most just, given, given those conditions? to maximize your potential for living a fulfilling life. And then next to that, there's this utilitarian uh, concept of justice, which is skewing you now more towards the collective, and it's talking about justice as uh, what's most fair as, as maximizing the happiness of the greatest number of people. It's associated with Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. And in this theory, individual rights are less important than the collective happiness, the greatest good for the greatest number. And moving further towards the, the, the collective, much further, we have this socialist conception of justice, which says that justice is about equity. It's about creating a society where material resources are distributed as evenly as possible. And so here we see the state with a heavy hand in the ownership of property and the means of production and, and its redistribution. And the mantra here is, from each according to his ability and to each according to his needs and then and then finally, there's the postmodern understanding of justice, which says that all claims of justice are are really about power. And so if you want justice, then those who have been denied power historically need to seize it for themselves. Now, obviously, that's just an overview, and it's filled with with oversimplifications, but but I hope you see that behind a very simple statement, that's not fair is very complicated and competing conceptions of the notion, the very notion of justice, of fairness. You know, fund- foundational questions about, is justice about freedom? Is it about fairness? Is it about happiness? Is it about equity? Is it about power? Who gets to say? But as Christians, our sense of justice and of fairness, it comes from elsewhere. And in fact, I think all of our uh, post-enlightenment theories of justice are attempts in their own way to capture aspects of the biblical understanding of justice without making recourse to, you know, claims of divine revelation because those are seen as arbitrary and, and irrational or not universally compelling. But I would say with so many theories, with so many competing theories out there with their own internal and consistent logic, are those theories any better off? And so if our principles for justice are to be rooted in anything other than our, our, our preferences or our feelings, then we're inevitably drawn to questions uh, about teleology, that is about purpose, what, what, what are things for, which leads us to questions about theology, right? What's a human being? What's a human being for? What, what, what is a society or what is a community and what is that for? Which ultimately leads us to the question, what did God make us for? And so in order to answer these questions, we, we need what Proverbs has to offer, and that is wisdom. And Proverbs tells, Proverbs tells us that, that wisdom is woven into the very fabric of creation. And this means that there isn't just an intelligence behind the universe, but a moral intelligence as well. It says at the beginning of our reading that Matt read, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So wisdom then concerns discerning what the demands of divine justice are in order to create a fair society. A a fair society is marked by what Proverbs here calls pleasantness and peace. And we will, you know, as I'm sure you have heard ad nauseum at this point, and we will continue to repeat over and over and over again here at church when Matt and I are interpreting scripture. Peace is shalom. And, of course, shalom is this very holistic concept. Peace not just as the absence of conflict between people, though that is good. And in a world that is filled with, 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 with conflict, an absence of conflict would be a great thing. I don't think we can uh, understate how important that is. But, but, but the Hebrew word shalom, peace, it's about this shared sense of, of security and this shared sense of prosperity and this shared sense also of, of human flourishing. And so if I were to just kind of offer a a thumbnail sketch of a translation of what it might mean in more contemporary language to to talk about Shalom, I would say that, that a just society is one in which every person is treated with dignity and has the opportunity to develop his or her full human potential. Now, one theologian put it thusly, saying, Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom is the way the world ought to be. And what I want you to draw from that definition is this concept of, of webbing, which we could even say is being woven, being stitched and knit together as it ought to be. And so a just society then is one where things are woven together as they ought to be. And so justice is about both, you know, trying to weave according to the correct pattern. And also trying to, to restore the tapestry when the pattern gets pulled apart. Because we know that, that everywhere, because of sin in this world, we're being torn. We're being frayed. Right? That, 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 that the threads are being ripped apart. That things are not as they ought to be. Families are torn apart. Communities are in turmoil. Violence and repression and, and, and persecution all around the world. And so justice is when the world reflects God's patterns and desires in its manifold system and network of relationships. And so if we think about kind of biblical justice as, as reflecting God's desired pattern for the world uh, within creation, you know, if, if, if we think about that kind of framework for an understanding of justice, then we can understand um, what someone like Martin Luther King Jr. was writing about in his letter from a Birmingham jail. Now, he wrote this letter because he was in jail and he had been accused by uh, the white clergy of Birmingham, some of them, uh, of being kind of this outside agitating figure who had come in to just kind of sow dissension and cause trouble. And that his, his tactics of nonviolent direct action included breaking the law. And, and, and so it involved having people do things that weren't legal, like you know sitting at the wrong, lunch, l- wrong part of the lunch counter or I- sitting in the front of the bus, that type of thing. And so those were technically against the law. And they said, how can you tell people to be breaking the law and, and claim to be upholding the cause of justice and morality? And here's what King had to say. He said, there are two types of laws, just and unjust. And I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws one has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that a, quote, unjust law is no law at all, end quote. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God an unjust code is is that that an unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law to put it in the terms of saint thomas aquinas an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law any law that uplifts human personality is just any law that degrades human personality is unjust and so what's striking is that, well, King, I mean, I think, you know, we can invoke King, and he's as close as we have in, in our society, I think, to a secular saint, right? This one person whose kind of words are, 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 are lifted up as, as almost quasi-divine utterances that, that we see when we read this letter. And, and yes, he's writing to his fellow clergymen, but, but his, his moral reasoning about justice is deeply theological, and we see it rooted deeply in the Christian tradition, all the way back to Augustine, and then to St. Thomas Aquinas, And so when we're thinking about justice, when we're thinking about morality in in these kind of theological and cosmic terms, there's nothing to be sheepish or embarrassed about that our understanding of it appeals to theological concepts that are rooted in scripture. That's what King himself is doing. And he's doing that in leading the, the greatest movement for justice and moral transformation ever witnessed in this country, perhaps in the history of the entire world. There's not too many other examples of this kind of social and moral transformation happening on this scale, and he's doing it leading from a place, uh, a theological place. Yes, it's kind of a Christian humanism, but it's but it's a Christian humanism. And so for King, c- civil rights wasn't a matter of taste or of preferences. I, you know, why shouldn't we have discrimination? I think it would be better for me personally. No. He is he is unapologetically appealing. divine justice and we unapologetically then belong to a community that is steeped in and continues to be shaped by that tradition so justice is 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 discerning it's reflecting upon the moral law but now it's hot outside and 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 so i'm not going to carry on forever but i just want to say there's four aspects of, of of what wise justice looks like that we see in our passage very briefly these, these, are just, these are just four, but, but I think they're helpful in thinking about what does it mean for us to do justice as Christians. And so first is this, that wise justice is about individual rights, especially for those whom society regards as marginal or unpopular. Uh, Proverbs says, a righteous person knows the rights of the poor. And so if we think about that in our own country, in our own time, who are rights for? Who are they meant to protect? The minority. The minority. The, the, the unpopular, the vulnerable. So that's the first point, is that they are about protecting individual rights, especially for those who are most vulnerable. Second, wise justice doesn't stop at individual rights, but also includes our obligations towards seeing after our neighbor's well-being. If we're talking about kind of classic moral philosophy, uh, Immanuel Kant is famous for this concept of deontology, which is just that, that a sense of justice is about fulfilling your duties, your obligations. And so this really gets at that aspect of it, that, 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 that justice doesn't stop at individual rights, but includes our obligations towards others. And it says here, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due, meaning they, they're owed it, when it is in your power to do it. And so justice involved then see, involves then seeing to our mutual obligations, the things we owe our neighbors. And so if we take the, the Ten Commandments as kind of an expression par excellence of, of what uh, divine justice might look like, then the church has always interpreted these not just as prohibitions, you know, thou shalt not, but also having public, positive obligations as well. For just one example, we take the, the Heidelberg Catechism, this Reformation-era Catechism, and it's talking about the implications of the command, thou shalt not steal. And so it asks, but what then does God require of you in this commandment? And the answer is this, that I work for the good of my neighbor wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would ha- others, uh, have others deal with me, and do my work well so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. So wise justice is about individual rights. It's, it's, it's about my obligations towards my neighbor. And third, it's about the flourishing of the entire community. Well, there are inevitably differences in society, in ability, in wealth, in gifts, in talents, in grit, in intelligence and, and prosperity. A just society is one that is ordered in such a way that a, that a, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Proverbs says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it's overthrown. And so in an unjust society, prosperity is a zero-sum game. It, It comes at the expense of others. And in a just society, we aren't fighting over slices of the pie. We're growing the pie for everyone. We don't hoard opportunity. We share it. Our shalom creates shalom for everyone else. And finally, wise justice has special consideration for those at the bottom of society. It views their welfare and their well-being as crucial for justice. It says in Proverbs, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So why do the poor merit special consideration when it comes to justice? Because they are the ones who need it the most. Typically, if you're rich or you're middle class, you can navigate society and and social programs and the complexities that come with it pretty well. You have some influence. You are a constituency that must be attended to and appealed to. And so... Justice has a consideration for folks in that position. I just think of, uh, 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 so w- when Amy and I move, here's just a simple story of how this can play out in practice, when, when Amy and I moved back here, uh, one of the things that we, we had was we had WIC, which is this, uh, it's women, infants, and children, and it's a food program, and you get these vouchers, you go to an appointment, and you get vouchers, and then you can use those to buy groceries. This program is needlessly complicated. Um, you have to go in and meet with a social worker every three months. You have to go show up to get these coupons. And then you, these coupons don't work for just regular grocery items. They're special wick grocery items. And so uh, like, you'll get loaves of bread, and, but it's only for a one pound loaf of bread. Next time you're at the grocery store, I want you to look at the average loaf of bread and see how big that loaf of bread is. It is not one pound. You will see the special wick loaves of bread set aside on another, uh, in another section. They're not always there. And so you're creating social complexity. You're saying, yes, we will give this to you, but you need to come to this appointment every three months. You need to know which particular groceries to shop for, um, which can be very difficult if you're looking at this list and English is not your first language. And so there's something, a program that was designed to be sort of just, but I think actually embeds within it all sorts of, 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 of injustice. And I think it might just be a jobs program for uh, the social workers at WIC, honestly. But more than that, when we look at what Proverbs said, it says that whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And this is the last point and the crucial point, that the Bible makes the stunning claim that the God of the universe has chosen to identify himself with the poor and powerless. That's the stunning claim. That's the startling claim that Christianity makes. That's the foundation of our very understanding of what it means to be just. We care for the poor because it is through them that God has chosen to reveal himself and to identify himself with. In Matthew 25, what does Jesus say? Whosoever, whatsoever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And whatsoever you have not done unto the least of these, you haven't done unto me. And so justice for the poor is not some peripheral concern. It's not some Marxist, uh, woke, you know, social justice warrior obsession. We can't allow our our, our hearts to be uh, corrupted or our brains to be broken by, you know, just kind of contemporary culture war concerns. Justice for the poor is not a left thing. It's not a right thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a Christian thing. And Jesus himself was born into relative poverty. When his family went to make the offering at the temple at his dedication, they gave the offering that was for the poor. Philippians tells us that when Jesus became incarnate, he left the immeasurable riches of heaven and took on the form of a slave. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that for our sake, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor in order to make us rich. And Jesus came to reconcile all things unto himself, to weave back together the threads of this world that have been torn apart by sin, to stitch us up, to make us whole, He came that we might have life and have it in abundance. And so may all of our efforts at justice be rooted in that truth, be pointing people to that reality. And may we never forget, too, that grace isn't fair, but it is just. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me.